the blast from our past network. Lock your doors, close your windows, turn out your lights, for chills and thrills await you. It's time for Podcasting After Dark with your hosts, Corey Stevenson and Zach Schaefer. Stay with a friend, say your prayers as grisly ghouls close in to seal your doom. And enjoy this bonus episode of Podcasting After Dark. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another exciting BFOP Network Roundtable discussion. This time we are talking Ghostbusters Afterlife, released 2021. I believe it was supposed to come out 2019, but came out a few years later, (laughs) thanks to COVID. And uh, we finally got to see it. Just like with our Mortal Kombat discussion, I have some awesome guys here from the BFOP network to to talk about this movie. And uh, by the way, I'm Corey from Cartwright and Podcasting After Dark. And joined with me is Adam from Cartwright, Seinfeld podcast, throwback trivia takedown, the blast from our past podcast. Oh, yeah. Can you tell us what is your favorite Ghostbuster of all time, and that includes comic books, video games, and all movies. <laughs> I've not read any of the comic books, never played any of the video games, but uh, being such a huge fan of Ghostbusters 1 and 2, I would have to say my favorite Ghostbuster is Ray Stance. That guy is just passionate about the uh, the beyond and everything you know he he loves his conspiracy theories and I just I mean Dan Aykroyd is is a fucking god and he didn't, he didn't admit to it but then he later admitted yes touche <laughs> yes, touche <laughs> all right John from Throwback Trivia Takedown and the Blast from Our Past podcast what is your favorite Ghostbuster of all time well there are so many <laughs> but. <laughs> Therefore, <laughs> but I'm gonna go with Tracy the gorilla. Mm. Oh yeah, oh, baby. Nice. Zach, how happy are you about that? Well, there's a reason why John and I were separated at birth. <laughs> let's go, Ghostbusters. Let's go. Oh, this, you're talking that shitty cartoon. How I dare say, you, John? How can you preceded, elaborate? Preceded the real Ghostbusters. <laughs> yep. Yep. Can you elaborate on Tracy, John? It's it's a gorilla that fights ghosts. <laughs> With a fedora. Honest, my honest opinion is, I did used to watch that cartoon when I was a kid. Um, I have not seen it since. I doubt it would hold up if I tried to watch it now, but. <laughs> oh, Zach, Zach, would you like to elaborate on how much you love Ghostbusters? I I, I not only love it, 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 I feel like they're two separate entities. The animation spectacular. The, the storylines are unique, fun, super kid-friendly. It holds up today. You show it to kids probably three to seven, and they'll love it. Uh, I have a bunch of the toys still. I love that cartoon. I just absolutely. And he wears a fucking fedora. I mean, how badass is that? <laughs> a monkey that wears fedora and he's built like a brick shit house. The guy could go toe to toe with Billy Jack Haynes. Like, forget about it. That, and was, uh, that was Filmation, right? Filmation. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Filmation was, they, they, they released it. Uh, it was originally a live action series and was not very good. 
And then the cartoon was dark and it was voiced by, you know, uh, Alan Oppenheimer from Skeletor fame. And uh, he was one of the primeval, primeval great villains on the show and had the moral messages like all filmation cartoons had. I love that cartoon. It is. It, yeah, it doesn't hold a candle to Ghostbusters. The real they're, Ghostbusters. They're, but if you, if you look at the two separately, I think you can appreciate it. That's my well, I, I apologize for derailing the conversation. <laughs> <laughs> no, you just Honestly, made it that much early. better. I don't remember the cartoon, but how does he handle a proton pack? They, they have, have like stuff like vacuum cleaners and whatnot. They don't no, have like <laughs> no. They have a they have a blaster. They have like ghost blasters that basically vaporize the ghosts and then basically they like send them back to the ghost world and they always come back the next episode. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, Zach, while you're talking, uh, Zach from Two Dollar Late Fee and my co-host from Podcasting After Dark. Hey. What uh, what is your favorite Ghostbuster? Well, John, I mean, I was gonna, I was gonna, <laughs> I was gonna shout out some of the uh, the Ghostbuster characters from that series. I was thinking about going Extreme Ghostbusters. Actually, nice. um, believe it or not, Extreme Ghostbusters had some terrifying episodes back in the day. And one of the characters, uh, Roland Jackson, he was a paraplegic, which I thought was pretty badass that they put that in a modern cartoon. And um, the series wasn't fantastic. It wasn't filmation Ghostbusters, but, uh, <laughs> and, and I mean, I got to go with Venkman. If I'm going to just go straight up, I'm going Venkman because it's Bill Murray and God, I, I love Ray Stans, but you know, Bill Murray's a God to me as well um but man like the the extreme ghostbusters had some of the more memorable terrifying episodes to me uh and yeah filmation ghostbusters if you want to have fun go watch that shit that is some weird stuff so <laughs> that is some weird wild stuff right weird, there. weird wild stuff <laughs> yeah thanks for bringing it up john yeah good one john actually i am happy about that it's really cool um tim from talking back podcast What's up, my man? And what is your favorite Ghostbuster? Hello, Corey. Thanks for having me on the show. <laughs> the Morning Zoo Crew. <laughs> hey. hey. Um, okay, I'm going to go number two, first of all. Peter You're going to take a deuce? Okay, I'm going to take a deuce. <laughs> number two, Peter Venkman. I'm not a huge Ghostbusters fan. I just want to get that out of the way. I Ooh. didn't watch many of the cartoons. Um wasn't like a huge fan of this back in the day. I think it just missed me. One of those movies that missed me. I love it now, but I'm going to go with my number one favorite Ghostbuster is my friend Neville, who I grew up with, who back in the day cosplayed Ghostbusters so damn well that he sent a picture in and they um, put it into the Ghostbusters comic book. Oh, so he's, he's in the oh. comic book. I have the comic book. He uh, was just, uh, he was the Nintendo guy. He had all the inside Nintendo knowledge. So if I got stuck on anything, I'd go and ask him. And I'm going to go with him as my number one favorite Ghostbuster. <laughs> well, we should have had the him wizard? on the show. I know. Oh, you, well, you really should have. Yeah. He would have done a, a much better job than I will. Well, considering, yeah, Tim, you're off the show. Go grab your pal. <laughs> Guys and gals will be right back. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just going to say, can we, can we count the Stranger Things kids in cosplay? Can we do sure. that? Now, too? Sure. sure. I mean, obviously, since one of them made it into, into canon at this point, uh, oh, yeah. Dustin from Action Action Podcast. Hello. What is Hello, 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 hello. <laughs> what's, what's your favorite Ghostbuster? And how are you I doing, mean, buddy? 
I'm doing well. My my answer is so basic. It's Vankman. I mean, I just have a certain age where Bill Murray was like a god to me at that age, watching all his movies. And Vankman is just the snarky one, the sarcastic one. He was my man for sure. That is a solid pick. And Picking I'll up th- chicks and shocking and boys. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not I'll saying I approve of all of his behavior, but... <laughs> I'll throw my hat into the ring, and my favorite Ghostbuster is Venkman as well, except with a little caveat, Lorenzo music version from Real Ghostbusters uh, Season 1 and 2. That will always be my favorite Venkman, will always be Lorenzo music, so... Coulier. What about Coulier? Cool. <laughs> yeah, dude, no, Coulier Lorenzo loved. music for life, baby. Hey, and you know what? I got no beef with the way Coulier did uh, Venkman, but yeah, Lorenzo will always be mine and R.I.P. R.I.P. So, Coulier, guys, was guys, doing, <laughs> Coulier was doing Alanis Morissette when he was doing <laughs> This is oh. true. This is true. Allegedly. Well, Allegedly. <laughs> we've been... We've been talking for like 30 minutes. We haven't even discussed Ghostbusters Afterlife yet. (laughs) Um, I I know that everyone's going to want to probably talk a lot, but I'm going to throw this out there. And if you can just give us some high level thoughts, just give us your your overthought. You'll be like, you know what? Here, I'll give you an example. Guys and gals, I had a good time with it. I had a blast with it. I don't think uh, Afterlife was perfect, um, but I do think it did a good job of blending nostalgia with, uh, you know, giving us some new stuff. And I think my biggest takeaway was that I enjoyed the fact that the movie was kid centric, but never felt kiddie, never felt like it was being talked down. So I recommend it. I had a great time with it. And I just want to throw it out moving forward. Uh, this We're going to go into full spoilers with this discussion at, I think, probably at this point. On. So if you have not listened or gone seen Ghostbusters Afterlife, I implore you to go check it out before moving forward with the podcast. But right now, I want to get some uh, high-level thoughts. Adam, what did you think, buddy? High-level thoughts? Um, I've got a lot of problems with this movie, and I'm going to tell you about them. Uh, mediocre, <laughs> Frank oh, no. mediocre at <laughs> fucking best. Um, <laughs> there were some okay parts, and that's why I give it the mediocre but there were a lot of things that I just, I had to pick apart. And when I really started looking at it, this movie had some fucking problems. Okay. I'm, I'm, ex- I'm actually excited to get into that. Uh, John, what were your high level thoughts on it? My brother does not like to have fun. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and I think last time, didn't he love Mortal Kombat? I did. Okay, he, did. <laughs> he did. He still doesn't know how to have fun. Uh, I enjoyed it. Um, I took my son and my nephew to see it so i kind of got uh you know i kind of got the kids uh point of view uh during the whole movie because my son kept turning to me and like oh dad is that oh hey that's i'm like shut up and turn to watch the movie (laughs) um i enjoyed it i had one problem that kind of bugged me in that they didn't really explain they it was sort of like Ghosts were maybe a thing that happened in the past was so some people didn't believe him. And then all of a sudden, like the girl and the mom had no issues with the lamp moving. And that that part right there kind of bothered me. Other than that, I had a blast watching this film. Nice. Nice. Okay, Uh, I'm going to mix it up a little bit on the bottom row here in my Zoom screen. Uh, Dustin, what did you think? Uh, overall, I had a pretty good time with it, actually. I went in with pretty low expectations. I wasn't 
super into the trailers. I thought, oh, this is just going to be like a fan service fest. Um, but I think in the movie, I actually felt like they kind of uh, undercut all the fan service moments instead of like fetishizing them. They kind of made a joke out of them. And so I liked that. Um, they didn't put them up on a pedestal or something. And uh, yeah, maybe it was because I had such low expectations, but I actually had a really good time with it. And maybe it was also like the audience I saw it with was really enjoying it. And that always helps me kind of get more into the movie. You kind of, we've kind of lost a bit of that with no theatrical experiences in the last couple of years, but uh, yeah, so I had fun with it overall. There is definitely, there are definitely flaws with it, but uh, we'll get into that, I'm sure. Yeah, that sounds like we will. <laughs> and I'm excited too, because I do think I looked at, at the movie through rose-colored glasses. And real quick, I just want to throw out, man, I the screening that I went and saw last week, opening weekend, there were so many kids there dressed up like in full gear and everything. You got to figure, I'm sure their dad, their parents, you know, probably did that, but there were a lot of kids. And I was like, that's cool. It seems like they're attracting, you know, the younger audience, keep the franchise that gives a franchise another 20, 30 years of legs, you know, if you get a little mm -hmm. kid on that, uh, Tim, you, uh, you just saw it. You are literally, you ran out of the car, came right into the recording studio. You just watched it. And you also don't have a lot of nostalgic love for the series. Uh, what did you think of afterlife? Uh, that's true. I just got it back. Um, I wasn't expecting to enjoy it as much as I did. Um, I didn't think it was going to be as much fun. I didn't think I'd have as much fun as I did. I didn't think there was going to be as much heart as there was. I was kind of shocked and touched by some of the stuff in the movie. And yes, the script had some holes, obviously. Um, but I mean, it's a movie about ghosts, you know, so you got to give it a little bit of leeway in some of the stuff that they're going to be doing. You have to kind of immediately, you know, suspension of disbelief if, if there's, you know, flying ghosts around and stuff like that. So um, yeah, I just say I enjoyed it more than I thought I would. Okay. Uh, Zach, take us home, baby. Well, I watched this movie with my wife and my son. And um, I, while I agree that it's not perfect by any means and there are flaws, um, you know, I grew up with the franchise. You grew up with the video games, grew up with the toys, the whole kit and caboodle. I'm not as committed to it as you are, Corey, but I do love the uh, folklore that this series has created with the comic books as well. Uh, I'm not a fan of number two. Uh, I thought the re-envision with the, the female cast was not good at all. I couldn't stand those films. So going into this, I had very low expectations. Uh, Dustin as well. I, I saw the trailer and I was like, oh, I'm not wowed by this. So I went into it with very low expectations and then ended up loving it. Loving it because I just felt like in this day and age, everything's being either remade or repurposed. And if you're going to do that, I felt like this was the best example of doing that. It was the best example of a sequel slash remake slash reinvigoration of a series. Um, and the kids didn't annoy me. And if the kids don't annoy me in a kid centric, kid focused film, then it's going to be overall good for me. I loved it. I thought it was great. And dare I say a hot take, I actually uh, would watch it over the original more than more mm. than once wow that, that is, is a, a bold <laughs> statement <laughs> just from a kid's perspective what kids watch now what kids are used to now kids attention spans now my 45 year old lens can easily watch the original over and over and over and over and over again 
However, I think for a younger audience, and I saw that movie when I was my son's age, essentially yeah. seven or eight years old, it's just movies are different now. And I think you need a hook to bring them in. And I think the original didn't have the same hook that this one does for a younger audience, for a younger audience. Yeah. But yeah, I loved I'd, it. I'd like to play off that for a second if I can. Um, I agree with what Zach is saying. And some of the stuff that I really loved about the first movie, some of the really fun beats that make it what it was, they bring along into this movie. Yep. Um, but they, like they, they modernize it at the same time, right? They, they do make it for a new generation. So this is chronologically like supposed to be part three, but at the yep. same time, it's been so long since the original Ghostbuster movies that they had to do something different. They had to bring it into modern times. They had to change a whole bunch of stuff in it, but I still felt like we were getting a lot of the stuff that I liked about the first movie in this movie. And it didn't feel forced to me. It, it felt like it all fit. It all made sense. It was believable and they made it fun. So that's one of the things that stuck out for me. Yeah. What and one thing I wanted to talk to you guys about, and uh, I, I actually I really am chomping at the bit to get to Adam and John to talk about the stuff that didn't quite work with the the movie because I do I had some problems with it as well. Um, but I do want to know what do you guys think? How how do you guys think that they handled the nostalgia versus giving us like like new stuff? Um, you know, John, what, what do you think? Like, do they, do they do a good job of like giving us nostalgia and new stuff? Or do you think they relied too much on like nostalgia? I don't think so. I don't, I don't think that they played too heavy into it. Um, there are definitely a ton of Easter eggs, but they didn't necessarily draw attention to them. Um, I definitely noticed, especially when, um, the girl and the mom were walking around Egon's, um, sort of basement lab you can still you can see things that are you know easter eggs from the first movie um uh or in like in his kitchen you actually see the the toaster mm -hmm. the toaster that danced around mm -hmm. yeah um in the second movie um which i like the second movie by the way yes um, it's a good movie <laughs> I, I like the second movie too yeah i do <laughs> I didn't say I hated it. I'm just not a huge fan. <laughs> oh, I, uh, I, hate, uh, I hate Ghostbusters, uh, too. I'll, I, I'll go on record about it. that. I, yeah. wow. I, thought, um, I thought the fan service started to get a little too much towards the end. It was They were doing a really good job of managing it right up until the end. And then I think they went a little too far. I go go ahead, John. I want to agree with John real quick in that um, yeah, the fans, the only time that happens. Yeah, the fan service <laughs> was was I, I didn't have a problem with the uh, amount of it exactly until is until the original Ghostbusters stepped in. Um, they actually mm -hmm. they came in at the right time in the movie, but then they were they oversaturated me. Yeah. Um, they they kind of they just used too many of the gags, and I was just like, shut up and shoot the fucking ghost already. <laughs> I'm I'm sick of your jokes. And then the mid credit scene, I wanted to fucking gag myself. That was worthless. Um, but yeah, it, it was until they stepped in where it was just like, okay, they came in at the right spot, but then they were just like, okay, this is overused. So so you think they leaned a little bit too far into it then? Uh, yeah, yeah, but I mean, like, I had very little problems with the amount of fan service. It, it just, like, you know, yeah, they, they pushed it a little... They, they let it uh, linger a little too long on them and made too many jokes that I was just like, all right, I just kind of... I'm invested in this moment right here, and you guys are taking me out of it right or, now. Or, yeah. 
or even worse, you're taking it away from the kids. Yeah. Like the moment away from them who who earned it and didn't like, you know, you just sort of popped in at the end. Um, I kind of wanted to save this discussion for later. Again, spoiler alert, guys and gals, you already heard that the Ghostbusters come back. So just spoiler freaking alert at this point. <laughs> Turn it off if you haven't seen it. Dustin does. I'm throwing this to you, buddy. The fact that Gozer is the 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 final boss in this is that fan service? Is that too much? You know what I mean? Like, did you? Would you um, want it to? See I didn't. I didn't think of that as fan service because it it tied into the original story in a way that made sense to me. Um, so all the Gozer and the Gatekeeper and the Keymaster stuff I thought was fine, and it it obviously it harkens back to something, and you know all of us who grew up with it are gonna like that stuff. But I didn't think that was like a on the nose thing. Like I felt like that did organically fit in the script. I do agree with what John and Adam are saying about when the Ghostbusters show up and stuff. Like it did feel like a little much, but that has got to be a hard balance to strike. Like obviously yeah. people want to see those guys. How do you give them the amount of jokes and moments with them without like disrupting the movie? And I'm not sure they nailed that by any means, but I, I don't envy whoever had to choose like how much of this are we, how many lines are we going to give these guys? How much of a moment is this for them and stuff? So well, one of my biggest problems uh, when I was watching it was, you know, Phoebe just calls Ray, you know, Ray occult books and that's great. He's working at, you know, his bookstore from Ghostbusters too. Um, but, but like, she just basically gives him all the information and he just keeps like going with like this crank call and he doesn't even find out till later who she actually is. And it just, it felt like a, okay, here's the scene that we need to write to bring these guys in. And I was like, okay, now we're not going to see them anymore until the very end, but they have the information now so they can just basically show up at the climax. I thought that was a little bit uh, uh, telegraphed. Um, Tim, what do you think about, well, you don't have much nostalgia attached to it, so how do you think that they did that though? And then I'm going to throw it to Zach too, the same question. I, I mean, I, I agree with what people are saying. I thought it was fine. Um, unfortunately, other than for my second favorite Ghostbuster, Peter Venkman, I thought he was terrible. I was annoyed by yeah. him in this. His lines, it, it almost felt to me like he agreed to come back if he could ad-lib his own lines and then they'd have to stay in the movie. <laughs> I, it just, it felt forced. Um, I liked what Dan Aykroyd was doing in the movie. I, I thought that was totally fine, but Venkman, it, he felt really flat for me at the end, but I do like having the three at the end for what it does with Egon. Yeah, The way right, that they yeah. give Egon his moment, you can't do that without having the, the Ghostbusters there. True, because yeah. Spoiler, they show up and you think they're gonna save the day, right? They, they do everything we want, they cross their streams um Gozer uncrosses them which I thought was pretty cool yeah. and then they kind of get stopped and that allows this what I thought was a really really great and touching moment at the end with uh with Egon who for somebody who you know obviously the 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 actor you know Harold Ramis uh, had passed away so this is a character who shouldn't even be in the movie but yet they find a way to not only get him in the movie but he's one of the most important characters in the movie. Yeah. Uh, I just thought All it was around, based around excellent. him, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. It was just an excellent use of him. And then it just creates his moment. It makes it even bigger at the end for me. So I did appreciate it for that. I was torn as to whether or not I wanted to see him. And I sure. still don't know how I felt when they finally showed us the spirit. 
when they bring back actors who, mm-hmm. you know, when we're doing this, you know, hologram or recreations, like we've seen in some of these Star Wars movies and stuff, it's a weird thing where it's like, okay, this makes sense for the story they've built around this. And I'm happy to see him, but I do feel this like weird, like, do I really want us to keep going down this road of resurrecting people who are dead? I don't know. It's a weird. Sure. Uh, I will say though, too, that I think the way they did it was right. The fact, the fact that they didn't have him talk, have some guy do a fake, yes. you know, Frank Oz voice or whatever. <laughs> uh, and I also thought the, the, I thought they handled it really um, uh, respectfully and it didn't feel exploitive. It felt very organic. It felt like it made sense. Um, like he's dead already. Yeah. It, 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 like, I don't know. It just felt to me, it, it, it made sense that the, the way they presented him in the movie. Um, I was going to say nostalgically from the get-go, I was hooked because using the original Columbia font, the original music, mm-hmm. uh, just the cues in the beginning, I was getting so excited about that. And I think you know, obviously for the six of us, this, this era is such a nostalgic time, the eighties and nineties. And so if the, if you can tell that the person who made something cares about that era, then it makes you care about it more. Like if they're just doing it to make money, Wonder Woman 84, um, (laughs) you know, for example, uh, shit, I just watched a movie the other day called 8-Bit Christmas, which clearly nailed the 80s. And I was like, wow, this movie like, should have been nothing. And they fucking nailed the 80s, like across the board, in my opinion. You know, this was like a love letter. I think this was a love letter, but also a nice introduction. And, and, it, and you know, that Stranger Things kid, other than the fact that he needs a haircut dramatically, like I just want to cut his fucking hair. <laughs> I was just like, God, he's got to be so sweaty and stinky and just... Just oh, you should see it. my hair. You should see my hair, Zach. <laughs> but like, trust me, I'm looking and I'm like, dude, come on, th- th- just cut your hair just a little bit. Um, well, Finn, like, Finn Wolfhard does have a very punchable face. I will he say. does, <laughs> and, and you know what? I taught kids like that back in the day, and I still know kids like that from the private schools. I'm like, you're a private school kid. <laughs> His name is Finn Wolfhard. You're damn right, he's yeah. a. I know. I'm looking. <laughs> speaking of which, the, the, they're listing the credits of the names, and I'm like, are these all? fake names like that of the cast you know like the young people in this like who the fuck is naming their kids what happened to like people name their kids weird shit now hell yeah so anyways i know i'm going off on a tangent as i always do um but i just i love the 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 nods and i felt like again the flaws to me you know uh like that's a perfect example, Adam, that you brought it with the, and John with the light, with the, with the Venkman, you know, the, the kids, not the kid and the mom, not even paying attention to the light moving around or whatever. That's a perfect example of something where you're like, Oh, this is definitely a flaw that didn't take away from the overall experience to me. Cause the whole time I was like, what's going to happen next. Oh right. shit. It's the insurance guy. It's, it's fucking J Jonah Jameson. You know, that's cool. Oh, nice it was Evo cameo. Shandor. Yeah, it was cool that we actually finally got to see Evo <laughs> Shandor, and he was pretty much designed to look like the the cart uh, the comic book version. Um, and to, to the light, the light thing, it was, almost felt like they either didn't go all or nothing. So, like, what I mean by that is they like say for example the mom and towards the end when she gets possessed by the terror dog the light is next to her because she's in the basement why didn't the light warn her that the terror dog was in the corner <laughs> yeah. i was waiting i was like okay we all know that the lights now is egon he should be like 
shining it around to like warn her, but there was nothing. So that's what I meant. Like, they don't feel like they fully committed to the whole light bit. Um, and then as far as the kids go, I did want to throw out the fact that that no kid should be able to handle a proton pack because they set up in the first and second movie. It's like throwing pure energy into a ro- like as a rope. It's like trying to catch lightning in a bottle. It's literally insane. And they, they, you know, they expand upon that in the video games and the comic books and stuff. And then you just watch a, a kid do it. And you're like, Oh, okay. I guess it's not that hard, but I, I mean, mean, she's got ghostbuster blood, right? Right. <laughs> and, and I get and she's it. She's a badass. She's a badass. That kid is a badass. Uh, and, I want to yeah, throw she out. Is awesome. Um, McKenna Grace and her character Phoebe was actually probably my favorite part of the entire movie. I thought she did a phenomenal job. Yeah, and, and, yeah. and I just want to say favorite part, but favorite character. Yeah, fa- yeah, favorite character of the movie. Yeah, I'll give you that. Yeah, can, can I just say that even though I didn't like sort of buy the fact that she could control it, it didn't. It wasn't something that sat with me for very long because I was like, well, screw it. I'll just let that wash over me. And I agree with you guys. She was freaking awesome. Um, by the way, by the way. Happy birthday, Adam. I've been oh, trying yeah. to get it in for oh, the past okay. two oh. minutes. <laughs> Happy birthday to our buddy, Adam. Woo. It's officially midnight Woo. on the East Coast in Georgia. Thank you. So, <laughs> Thank Thank you. Um, I appreciate that. Uh, what I wanted to mention is, did all of y'all feel as personally attacked by the character of podcast as I did? Yes. Oh, I love that kid. Well, no, because I, I don't do a kid. true crime podcast. Yeah, no. <laughs> I was like, holy shit, am I like that? <laughs> yes, I did think all, the writing was are. a little lazy that his name was just podcast, but yeah, I did I think the kid was really charming. So. He was charming. I agree. Uh, well, I, I just also want to point out, I didn't realize that that McKenna Grace kid, she's in Handmaid's Tale. Um, I don't know if you guys have seen that, but n- now putting those pieces together, I'm like, oh, shit. She's a tour de force. Like, mm-hmm. she's a fucking powerhouse, man. Like, she, she is. I haven't uh, seen she it, pulled she some off. Haunting, she, of, haunting of Hill House as well. She's in that too? Mm-hmm. Whoa. Hmm. Wow. She's impressive. But before we pull too far away from the Egon discussion, we did not get uh, Adam and John in on that one because it kind of uh, changed halfway through. Um, Adam, what what did you think of Egon? How how he was handled? So one of my one of my major problems when we have um, newer films is how I feel they might rewrite the first the original movies, and I feel they kind of shat on Egon uh, a little bit. Because they really, in my opinion, turned him into a um, uh, a father, an absent father, you know, who fucked some random woman. Who the I want to know who the fuck did he fuck? All right, we <laughs> yeah, will we may, we may never know. Um, because if you do the timeline in your head, looking about how old the mother is, he probably you know had sex with this whoever this lady was um, around Ghostbusters one, right? Around that time, and then he left them. He just fucking left them around that time between either Ghostbusters 1 and 2. And that, honestly, I hate it when these kind of late sequel movies make me reevaluate the characters that, you know. uh, I hear that. And it's like, it makes me feel lesser about him. And I really, really dislike that about what this film did to to Egon. Um, You know, (laughs) give me some some of that backstory a little bit. They give me a tiny little bit, you know, but it was the mom. Like Like what what happened to the mom? That's all we just tell us, you know, honestly, he just ditched him according to all we know. And it's just like, wow, you are a terrible person now. Um, I also Uh, he's trying to save the world. Yes, but 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 by the time he had her, 
he was in a, in his prime. You know, he was doing well with the Ghostbusters. You know, right after Ghostbusters one, like he that's definitely when he had her at some point around then, um, just based on the mom's age and and you know whatever. So that get, that was a problem for me because I don't like that. But also, I know they really pushed this. Um, you know, Egon and Ray. You know, they they he they didn't believe none of the other Ghostbusters believed Egon. He had to go out on his own, and and maybe I'm just too nitpicky. And John can fucking attest. I'm really goddamn nitpicky. Um, but for not for one goddamn second do I believe that especially Ray Stance wouldn't have believed Egon with his most wildest thing, and That's, he would have been with him side by side. I definitely and, thought about that. Yeah, yeah sure. I had that same thought, Adam. I'm so, kind of with you on that. So it was a bit of a problem for me because yeah. I felt that they they weren't true to at least that character. Well, the slogan is, we're ready to believe you, so you would think <laughs> yeah. that he would believe. Uh, John, thoughts on Egon? I, I, I don't know. every time everything that, that that happened with Egon, I was I've been hesitant um, about just uh, just because you know I was I'm like okay I really want this to be respectful. Um, I liked most of it. I liked the little chess thing that happened. Yeah, I wanted cool. it to play out a little bit longer. I wanted to like you know like mm -hmm. every time she comes yeah. by, there's another piece. Like I didn't want yeah. to move to oh ghost moving it really fast and then she having no problem with it okay i'm just gonna play with a ghost do, do you think um, he hit that piece when he when he knocked out the uh the knight he did it really angrily and it's like yeah, damn yeah. that's your did. that's your granddaughter <laughs> kind of did um and like i don't bring that shit in here he said <laughs> <laughs> yeah like don't I mean, bring that weak shit uh, in here <laughs> before i i was hesitant i don't really know that i wanted to see his face i was kind of okay with mm. the little spirit thing when you first see because you just see his hands and then I kind of, I, I kind of just wanted it to keep it at that, but I, I didn't have a say in it. Um, I'm, I think in the end, I think they were very respectful to Harold, Harold, Harold Ramis. God bless America against tonight. Uh, and Harold Canada. Ramis. Yeah. <laughs> now, this is an international podcast. <laughs> it is. It's the IHOP. It's did, the high IHOP of podcasts. Up here, we God bless the Queen. By the way. <laughs> and it passed. Um, did anyone else here read Harold Ramis's daughter's book? My my wife did, um, and she met her at. We went to the Ghostbusters Fan Fest uh, on the Sony lot about three or four years ago, uh -huh. uh, and that was that was a wild experience because it was put together so poorly. But she did uh, bring her book, uh, Ghostbusters Daughter, uh, uh, Violet Ramis Steele, I believe her name is, and yeah. uh, she actually got to to meet her, and uh, you know she listened to her talk and all this kind of stuff. She's a wonderful, wonderful woman. Okay. I got about three quarters of the way through the audio book and I didn't stop because it was boring. I, I stopped because I'm, I guess I'm ADD like that and switched to something else and I haven't gone back yet, but it was very personal. And for some reason, I kind of felt a little bit like not defensive, but protective of Harold Ramis in this. Like I really wanted them to, to respect, you know, his, I guess his legacy. I don't know why I took it so personally, but I just kind of did. Oh, I'm, hey, man, I, I will tell you guys right out of here. 
I ugly cried when he came on the screen, when you saw his face and everything. Yeah. I, I mean, because I was messed up when he and Harold Ramis in real life died. I was like, this sucks. And I don't usually get, you know, broken up over celebrities or whatever. Um, but I loved it. I thought it was the the, the Harold Ramis stuff. I liked that it was central to the story. Um, I under, I felt the same way you did, Adam, where I was like, so are you saying that he's like a bad dad? And then, but but the what I took it as like, well, I guess he's human. You know what I mean? I mean, I had a bad dad growing up, so I turned out just fine, I guess. But it's like, uh, nope, nope, veto on that wrong. one. <laughs> but debatable, I just, debatable. I, it, for me, I guess it, for me, it just kind of made him a little bit more human. Um, and one thing I really enjoyed was all the nods to the cartoon. Now, Jason Reitman has gone on record and saying like he loves Ghostbusters and Ghostbusters too, obviously. But the cartoon was kind of like his thing back in the day so like all these little nods at the very beginning when when egon was you didn't know it was egon at the time but like you know he was on his farm at the very beginning the the pole was kind of like this wooden pole was in his way and there was a wisp of hair out front and i was like that is totally like a, an homage to the cartoon hair yeah. and just the way they handled ecto one like once it started it had no problems. It could go on grass. It could go everywhere. And they hand they played with it like a toy, you know, in the movie. And yeah. I was like, the as Kenner, someone who it just it felt it felt uh -huh. very real Ghostbusters e. Um, even you even know. the monsters, some of the ghosts, I thought they felt like, yeah. oh, I don't know if these would have fit in the original movie, but they definitely could have been in the cartoon. Yeah, like the one with the big eyeball and the uh, yeah. the purple. Oh, but the, one the, the, the one with the big eyeball and the muncher. The, the one ghost in the climax, there's one that has an eyeball and a string and it yeah. comes back. That is a toy. That is a real Ghostbusters toy that they oh, put yeah. into the movie. Mm -hmm. um, but let's talk about the ghosts and uh, the terror dogs and the, the mini marshmallows and, mm -hmm. and Gozer. Uh, I just want to throw out really quick. I thought Gozer was awesome looking. I thought Olivia Munn looked amazing as Gozer. That was Olivia Munn? I, I didn't yeah. even realize. Are that you fucking Olivia kidding Munn. me? Olivia yeah. Wilde, right? Oh, Olivia, Olivia Wilde. Wilde. Well, still, I, I didn't know. Either way, I didn't yeah. know it was a famous one. person. I thought it was just some rando. No, yeah, it's, it, but I love that we. I felt like we finally they showed her how they wanted to show her in the first one, having these like layers of of like organicness to her and everything. I thought she looked amazing. But let's just talk about the the villains, the ghosts in general. Any ghosts you want to talk about, Dustin? What do you think, buddy? I mean, Muncher stands out because they spend they spend some time trying to catch him, and he you know he has a bit of a Slimer vibe going on for sure. Yeah. Um, so, I miss Slimer. I missed him. Yeah. yeah. Did you want to see? Did you think Slimer would show up in this? I, I kind of did. Hoped a little bit. Yeah. Thought he would. Uh, but I liked the Muncher and like him spitting all the nails and metal bits and stuff like that. Uh, I thought all the monsters looked pretty good, and like I said, like if they couldn't have fit in the original movie, they at least could have come from the cartoon. And you're telling me, Corey, that one of them actually did i didn't realize that but um yeah it's it's kind of a weird thing because like looking back i don't remember the second movie very well i saw the second movie a few times but the first movie is in my brain for sure and i even enjoyed the marshmallow stuff i thought oh this is going to be too much but it was funny it was cute it totally i could see it playing for kids so yeah i think uh, most of the monster stuff totally worked for me I didn't think the little mini marshmallows, the little stay puffs. I didn't think they overstayed their wel welcome. Like they were one minute away from overstaying their welcome. Wrong. Yeah. Wrong. <laughs> they fucking sucked. They didn't make any sense in there. They didn't need to be in the fucking movie. They were mischievous devils. They, they were there just to like be cute for the kids. Of course and they that were. Was it. Of course but they were. were. They were utterly useless. It didn't make. It didn't make any sense to have them in there. I didn't John? mind them in the store. I didn't like that they came back at the end just to do the marshmallow joke that happens at the end of the uh, first one where the one guy's that part 
I thought was too much. Tim? Uh, I liked the ghosts. Um, I thought, yeah, I thought Gozer looked great. Mm. When she was on screen, I just couldn't stop staring. I was just like, wow. No, just, and her voice was it's just i always love that i always get caught off guard with that super deep voice when she asks you know are you a god and i'm just like i don't know just, <laughs> you look really cool though. um you're kind of hot sure, too i'll make you see god whatever you want whatever you want um i really liked muncher for the reason of that he did take on the slimer role in this movie yeah but they utilized him yeah like near the end when they needed to get the proton pack that was locked away they bring him back and he's a useful character for that reason i really appreciated that they did something with him instead of just catching him right off the bat yeah i love the payoff um i'm have to disagree with adam here i thought the the mini stay puffs were the best part of the movie for me i laughed so hard when they were doing their little thing uh in the store when they're making s'mores out of themselves like it, it, it was, they're the weirdest little things. I agree. I don't know what they're doing or why they're doing it. But when one of them was like laying down on a graham cracker and the others are melting a piece of chocolate on him and he's just so happy. He's got this warm blanket on him. I just, I laughed. I just died in that moment. So um, yeah, I thought they were all great. The dogs, I kind of liked the dogs because they used uh, practical effects for, yeah. for some parts. Mm-hmm. So I did appreciate that they, they did that um yeah so I, I was cool with it you know they didn't overdo it there weren't too many ghosts or too many different kinds of monsters they kind of just focused in on um some key ones and i i thought they did a great job with it and like in the first movie with the taxi zombie we got the obligatory zombie ghost in there uh zach uh what are your thoughts on the the monsters yeah i liked uh the 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 mini stay puffs reminded me a little bit of young sherlock holmes when watson is uh hallucinating all the pastries trying to stick them them, themselves into his mouth and it was like that this the mischievous kind of gremlin-esque vibe that they had going on it it felt like elements of things i've seen before in a good way like i was like okay this, this is clearly them trying to market towards little kids but I don't have a problem with that. I think it's funny to, to piggyback on what tim said i do dig the practical effects uh seeing gozer's you know, gelatinous kind of clear uh, jelly fish body with the spikes are reminding me of those like little party toys they give kids that have the light in it and you push on it and it's like, a, it's like a sensory ball or something <laughs> and it lights up. It just reminded me of that. I'm like, if you squeeze her, do you start like glowing? I don't know. I'm wondering about that. Um, but I, I just want to say really quick too, uh, in regards to Egon, the Egon discussion that I know this is armchair quarterback, but I was kind of hoping that Janine would have been their mom and she was the one raising them all these years and like, okay, you know, uh, like she has more of a deeper explanation as to why their dad left. Uh, or I don't know why he left. He just got up and left one day. And then they maybe Peck is the one who oversees the estate of, uh, or just, you know, have William Atherton play another role as the asshole who oversees the estate of Egon. Like that would have been kind of cool to see. Maybe he'll be in the next one, you know? Um, but that, that, that was me just like, that, that would have been a little bit nicer than this anonymous, anonymous mom. Anyways, back to the monsters. Um, yeah, I didn't think they overdid it because they easily could have overdid it. I liked the pit when, um, mm. you know, Egon's granddaughter was like, you know, watching all the shit unfold and they were slowly coming out that gelatinous goo. I was like, Ooh, this is really creepy. It was really scary. Like the scares 
were effective in a way like it got you to kind of jump, but it wasn't too scary to give you nightmares at night. And I think that's what is important about this film too. And it's it's going to open up a wider audience to kids. You know, unlike was was Bodhi scared? Did, did no, Bodhi he jump? wasn't. Okay, he okay. wasn't. He was like captivated the whole time. And this is a kid who doesn't really get affected by this stuff too much. But there are some new reboot series <clears throat> right now that he is freaked out by because they're more geared towards adults. This tended to kind of veer. It was a nice balance of like, okay, it's appealing to the our generation, and it's also appealing to new kids that'll identify with it and go. Oh, I want that kid's hair from Stranger Things. <laughs> yeah, but, the original movie scared the bejesus out of me when they go into the library and that. And it is know, scary. Yeah. It's that still woman scary. ghost that scared the shit out of me as a kid. Yeah. So yeah. Mm-hmm. John, did you bring uh, uh, both your kids or just your son? You said. Yeah, just my son and my nephew. Went. Oh, were they scared? Was it too intense for them, or was it fine? I don't know that it was too intense. I think there were moments that they were kind of. Um or especially my son, because he was sitting right next to me. Um, like I think he knew something was going to happen, so he was kind of prepping himself. Um, but I don't think there was anything that just outright scared him. Okay, okay. Uh, Adam, you want to you elaborate on the uh, Janine? Uh, <laughs> I, made, I made big motions because I wholeheartedly <laughs> agree with Zach on this one. Uh, they really dropped the ball when it comes to fan service because they wholeheartedly set us up uh, in Ghostbusters 1 and 2 and mm-hmm. probably other properties that we wanted to see Egon and Janine together. And this completely craps on that. But then also, yeah. furthermore, Janine's character talks about like, oh, you know, how special the father was. And, you know, she kind of knew spe- special things about him or whatever. And then the mother doesn't ask about that. And then yeah. we never get Janine again. And then it's just like, why the fuck were you in this movie other than just to have your cameo? But like... You actually had some potential answers for the mother, and then that just went away. Um, but, like, one of the bigger things is we all wanted and expected Egon and Janine. And then, again, as I complained about, I guess Egon just fucked some other woman and then left that wife and kid. Goodbye. Fuck you, Egon. You're a worse person now. And to your point, Adam, um, as someone, so for me, uh, I grew up, I, I saw Ghostbusters in the theater, probably Bodie's age. My stepmom uh, took me to go see it. I was like seven years old, fascinated me. But I was the perfect age for real Ghostbusters right after that. And I'd say like my love just got solidified with real Ghostbusters. And I think one of the reasons I don't like Ghostbusters too is because in every week on real Ghostbusters, they're at the top of their game every single week. And then all of a sudden they go see, you know, Ghostbusters too. And like, I get it. I get it story-wise. I, I was so re- I'm, I'm so ready to call you a fucking hypocrite for liking this movie because you bitch about how they, they were on the bottom at starting in Ghostbusters 2, and they are below bottom at starting in this movie. And so how but this movie isn't about them. It's about Grace McKenna, so... <laughs> oh, my God. Fuck you, you hypocrite. <laughs> so, um, but like you were saying, I always expected Janine to be with Egon because that's what's laid out in the first movie. They went with that in the real Ghostbusters and kind of made Janine a little gaga for Egon. And then even as a kid, I didn't understand why all of a sudden she's going after Lewis Tully in Ghostbusters 2. So even when I'm watching this movie, I'm expecting Janine to be the mom. Like the Mm -hmm. entire time, I'd like, that's that's the big twist of the movie is that it's actually going to be Janine as the mom. Wrong. 
wrong. <laughs> um, all right. So I've actually going to say, sorry, yeah, go I, for it. I just want to say really quick. Uh, the, the actor that played the mom though, I thought she was really good. Very cool. Um, you know, yeah. she, yeah, she's, she's really good. I, I you know, my, my good. wife is a huge Paul Rudd fan and she was like, Paul Rudd just feels a little flat throughout this whole thing. Like there was something about or a little him one note. Just, maybe he felt a little yeah. one note. Yeah. Which Paul Ruddish. Yeah. yeah that's and, what I thought. He, Paul Rudd was Paul Rudd. That, yeah. That's what I thought too. And she's like, I did what, I don't know what it was. He just, it just didn't do it for me in this. And like, well, maybe it's because he's the, he, he was, he's really not supposed to be a big focal point of this film. And so maybe that's why, but I thought the mom was really cool. I thought her, her kind of hate, her hate animosity towards science and, and the afterlife and the supernatural world, like made total sense in the story that in the world they created right it makes sense it, that she would hate everything yeah i think that, that makes sense care. i want to push back a little on it though because i do like carrie coon i think she's a great actress i didn't really necessarily like all the ways they wrote her in the movie because mm. she's complaining about how her dad is a dickhead and a bad parent but she's kind of being a shitty parent to this girl and throughout the movie she's <laughs> like oh you're a fucking nerd science sucks stop you know wasting your time with this bullshit and kind of like shitting on her kids like dreams and what she likes to do and stuff so i was like you're not being any better than your dad was so uh, so well, it kind of bugged me a bit I, i'm not disagreeing with you but i will i will say that to me that made sense because she's so angry and she's just so you know yeah she, it's from a storytelling perspective it makes sense. yeah but i totally she yeah she was not a good parent in that sense clearly not you know she's broke all the time and she brings her kids to this dilapidated home and <laughs> Make, it's, yeah. truthful, it's truthful though that like if you if your parent treats you that way that's the only way that you kind of know how to treat your kids right like that's yeah. a tough cycle to break so i i would have felt it less believable if she was just this wonderful parent because that's not how she was raised that's not what she got so yeah. I, I don't i don't know i i liked the way that she was she was in the movie and she didn't have any money either right so which seems strange because yeah. she was kind of always doing things but it makes a certain amount of sense logically. I guess, you know, there's also, you know, there's obviously there's lots of single parents in the real world who uh, are doing a, a, a better job than this mom was doing, I thought, in the movie. So I don't know. There was something there where I was like, okay, well, I get that she's angry, but it felt like there was just no, like, openness to who her kid was. So I don't know. It kind of bothered me a bit. And I wanted it to just maybe be seated in a little more where she would be a little more open to these things. Like once she has some scenes with Paul Rudd, you get to see a bit of the warmer side of her. Cause for the first chunk of the movie, she's just kind of wandering in and out of scenes, drinking and being a little bit belligerent kind of. And I was yeah. like, well, she kind of sucks. Like what's going on here. I can relate to that. What the fuck's the problem with that? <laughs> hey, can, can, can I ask you guys really quick? Um, did any of you want to see more of Bokeen Woodbine? Because I did. Oh yeah, did. very yeah, little of him. him. Yeah, Fucking love, love that guy. That's and, two, two Fargo yeah. actors yeah, in this movie. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. Sure. Yeah. And he yeah. was billed pretty right. high. He was billed pretty high, which is what kind of blew my mind. It makes me wonder if maybe stuff was um cut with him or something. Because yeah. um, his billing was way too high for the five minutes that he was on screen. But he had a okay. shot. He had a shot where he like turned around all dramatically. And I was watching it with my wife, and she looked, she turned to me, he's like, Who is that guy? I was like, I have no fucking clue. Because <laughs> I didn't I wasn't sure who the actor was. I'd recognized him, but I didn't know his name. And so I was yeah. like they really made it seem like he was somebody, and then they didn't go really far with the, with the sheriff at all. 
I felt like a lot of his stuff might have been on the uh, on the cutting it, room. It must floor. have been. There must That's have been more shame. of a confrontation or a scene yeah. where he ends up helping them or something because yeah, yeah. Don't it doesn't make sense that he was there. And yeah. and that is a fun fact, by the way, that the, Carrie Coon and him were both on uh, Fargo. I think different yeah. seasons, though, different right? Seasons, but yeah. yeah, my God, talk about an excellent show. So oh, also, yeah. I think shot in Alberta, and this movie shot in Alberta. So there's some more Canadian oh. connections for you. Hey. <laughs> uh, nice. So we hit a lot of my points already, but I mean, I don't mind keep going. But I do want to talk about the fifth Ghostbuster, the Ecto. What did you guys think how it was portrayed in this movie? I thought it was very much like a toy, like with the the car door opening. It just it felt like like just a dream come true as an 80s kid, you know, type of thing. But uh, uh, Tim, what did you think of the Ecto-1 and how they handled it and just the modifications they made to it and everything? I thought it was great. It was a lot of fun to watch that thing cruising around. I love that the person driving it the whole time didn't have a driver's license. That was a great touch. (laughs) What I liked better than the Ecto-1, though, I agree with you, it did feel like a toy. What I liked better than that, though, was the mini, like, remote-controlled trap (laughs) that was on a little, like, like four-wheel remote-control car. Because that, to me, that thing felt like a character to me. It was always, like, trailing the the Ecto-1, or sometimes it was ahead of it. I got a lot of personality from that, that little thing. And I think that was a great way for them to take something from the original, make it new and kind of fit in the whole new modernization of this, because a trap, a rolling trap like that, like what a great idea. It didn't exist in the first one, but they bring it in for this one and they utilized it so well. So for me, that was my vehicle hero in the movie was that little remote controlled Mm -hmm. trap. Yeah, the R two T two of the movie. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It felt like a droid. Yeah, <laughs> yeah good point. It did. Yeah. J- John, what did what'd you think of the Ecto? It was fine. It was a car. <laughs> okay, <laughs> that's more than a car, John. How dare you? <laughs> it's yeah. I mean, I liked I liked the little additions and stuff. I agree. It, it did kind of feel like a toy. I guess looking back on it now, I, I see that. But uh, I was I was fine with it. Okay, Adam. I don't, I don't have much Sorry. <laughs> no, I think all of the modifications, the um, the trap that that drove, you know, all that fit really well with Egon trying to, you know, um, you know, update everything for this this upcoming Doom. Um, you know, I think it totally made sense that yeah, here's this RC car trap, whatever that is keeping up with a ninety mile an hour Ecto one. Um, because fuck Egon did it. So I, I, I just kind of believe that because it's fucking Egon. Uh, so like, I had no problems with any of that stuff. Like the whole door open, the, 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 you know, shooting out the side kind of stuff. I enjoyed that. I thought that was, um, pretty believable for what he would maybe, you know, update that stuff. So yeah, a toy. Absolutely. My nitpicky side, uh, came to the driver and that comes to the fact that this guy fucking failed his his uh test three times and then he's drifting the fucking ecto one like it's nothing fuck that bullshit it would have rolled he would have died and i probably would have laughed and that because honestly his character was worthless i I didn't think his character was really needed at all i didn't need trevor or finn wolfhard mckenna grace was the star he was pretty much just to drive the car fuck it that could have been the mom could have been paul rudd um i didn't Didn't really think his character was needed I'm I'm not 
against what you're saying, he did feel like it was he was there just to bring in a certain demographic. Sure. Um, he, I, I, yeah. yes, he was yeah. the driver. Now I will push back and say because I can't remember who was the one that said to me the reason she could hold the Phoebe could hold the proton pack was because she had Ghostbuster blood in her. So I'm <laughs> gonna push me. back and say <laughs> that, was, that was Dustin. Yeah, so there we go. So I'm gonna push back and say that he can Finn can drive, but <laughs> I do hate the fact that they. Uh, when he was going to wear the sweatshirt from his like female crush, she's like, oh, it's manly. It's got a wolf on the back. I was like, oh, shut up. We all know the kid's name is Finn Wolfhard. We all know. Shut up. Uh, Dustin, what'd you think of the act now? Uh, yeah, no, it was good. I think what Adam is saying is what won me over to it because in the trailer, when I saw like, oh, this thing shoots out the side of the car, I'm like, uh, this feels like, I don't know. It's like, oh, it's Ghostbusters, but now it's extreme or something like that. And I was glad that it was Egon who had made those modifications that made it easier to accept that uh, about the car. But yeah, I like what you're saying about it being a toy. I didn't think of that during watching the movie, but that's, I think that's a really good point. Um, and, you know, obviously there'll probably be toys of this stuff coming out and oh, there already uh, are. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. And uh, kids will I'm sure eat it up. Yeah. Uh, Zach, uh, I know you love the real Ghostbusters as much as you love Filmation's Go Ghostbusters cartoons. Uh, the, did you catch shades of that famous uh, art piece from real Ghostbusters that was used for the board game that has Ecto-1 on there with like Ray sticking out the side and everything, you know? Yeah. It just, it felt like that came to life, basically. Yeah, I, I own that. I still own that board game by the way uh with that artwork it's so badass i think it's actually they just took an other they another Mil milton bradley game and then put the the cover on the on the art uh, on the box they, or yeah i actually bought the game so it's like called like haunted mansion something generic yeah and i gave it to my nephew and i'm looking at it and and i'm like oh this is the real ghostbusters game just reskinned all around i was like okay i got it but yeah well, so yeah and i i think uh because it's been a minute since I've seen the Extreme Ghostbusters, but I know that Egon Egon was on Extreme Ghostbusters, yeah, his character. So and and they had did they did do modifications to the Ecto one. So when the Ecto comes on the scene, I loved it. I was like making nerd clapping and yelling and screaming in the theater of like eight people or whatever that were there, uh, which felt really great by the way. So it just felt safe, even though someone was still coughing and i was like that that's annoying um but uh when they get caught by the police and the car's now an impound i mean i didn't know where the movie was going so when it got into impound i'm like is this all we're gonna see now of the car like five minutes of the car and then that's it when it came back i was so happy about that and it did be it did feel like another character in the movie it made it more significant if it was just throw away, you know, they, they use it for that minute, tear up the town and then get thrown in jail and you never see it again. And they're basically on their feet and they're using mom's car or whatever. It wouldn't have had the same impact, you know? Um, yeah. I really love that. How the hell those mini marshmallows were in the car is beyond me <laughs> at the end. I mean, I'm, you know, to, to follow the echo what Adam was saying. Nope. In the sense. No, that doesn't make sense. What's that? I said, oh, maybe they followed them out of the store, but that was Paul Rudd who was at the store. So that doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and then, and then the little guys are like ripping the cords off of, uh, of um, the sheriff's daughter's proton pack. And I'm like, oh, miraculously, she's able to recover and use it at the end. Sure. A lot of suspension of disbelief, but that happened a lot in the eighties too. A lot of suspension and disbelief where I'm like, 
oh, I just got to let it go. It was the 80s. Now I think we have such a critical eye because, because the writing for good movies is really good. And for bad movies, it's really bad. And this one is like somewhere in the middle, edging way closer towards really good. Um, so yeah, seeing the Ecto was fucking badass. And, and just the, the pop-out door and the remote control car. I, I loved it all. I loved it all. Yeah, podcast, uh, he even called himself PC or something like that. I don't yeah. know. You know, that would have been a little bit better. Yeah. Or maybe call him, <laughs> I don't know, something. My, my first thought was like, okay, we're, I mean, podcasting is now just completely mainstream, you know? <laughs> <laughs> it was, well, did you guys ever see and the Saturday derided. Night Live? Did yeah, you see, it's right. Huh? Did you see that? Did you see the Saturday Night Live skit way back when about podcasts where the guy's like, I got a podcast. I'm famous. I got a podcast. It, it turns into a rap song. It's really funny. <laughs> Let's go look like that up. Five years ago. <laughs> uh, I want to go uh, circle back around and let anyone have, you know, a chance to talk about anything they, they didn't, you know, we didn't bring up or, or whatever. Adam? Yeah, go for it. I'm going to go through my nitpicky stuff. These are these are part of the things that I could not get past that really pissed yeah, me off. <laughs> um, one of them, the lockpicking skill from Phoebe really didn't come back. I thought it was uh, a complete waste. So they set up that, I, I never assumed that any smart person can pick a fucking lock, but I guess that's what the, why they used it. But okay, she can pick a lock, she got into the door, and then the whole, I guess, setup was later, oh, she can't pick this lock because this is, is, is an electronic lock, it's a magnetic lock, and so now they have to have Muncher do it, which just, like, just have Muncher eat through it as the saving grace later. That really didn't come back in a saving thing. That was just poor writing, in my opinion. Um, I cannot believe that this house that does not have cell service, which Trevor slash Finn Wolfhard's character let us know substantially, somehow has internet to watch the fucking uh, Ghostbusters videos on YouTube. Fucking plug from YouTube. That was utter well, bullshit. Well, this is later. They've set up like a Wi-Fi. Uh, uh, no, they didn't. They didn't set up shit. It was utter. I did not believe that one little bit. That pissed me off. Uh, let's see here. Um, this town was poor and there was nothing around it. They had the nicest fucking Walmart I've ever seen in my life. That really pissed me off. Yeah, that was weird. It needed to be. It was. It was obviously product placement. I think that's for real. I think that's real life. I think Walmart's going to tiny towns. No, and dude, destroy dude, them, dude. Corey, no, 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 man. I live in a tiny. Yeah, all town. All the businesses downtown are shut down because Walmart's. Are. Yeah, our, exactly. But, but our Walmart's aren't nice. Our Walmart's are fulfilled with the the gross people that live uh, in our area. I okay, live in a so small the, town. I get this. People. We have WalMarts and Dollar Generals. And yeah, but this is a Canadian me. Walmart. It's, there's no gross people here. <laughs> Not in Canon. In Canon, it's America, baby. Um, but it didn't make sense. That Walmart was fucking gorgeous. And to be in a town of like a thousand people, like or whatever, at most like 10,000 people, I found that ridiculous. That's just me being nitpicky, and I'm going to fucking do it. I walked out of this movie being disgusted because all I could think about was, oh, I guess Rick Moranis and Sigourney Weaver had sex. I oh. never thought of that before. Of course. And they, what do you mean? Of course they had sex. We all no. know that. Uh, no, no, yeah. no. That was not that was not something that I assumed in the first movie. Of course, it's that everyone knows no, that. No, 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 no. What do you think Keymaster and Gatekeeper means? That was never an <laughs> oh, assumption. Adam. Oh, never Adam. an assumption. Hold in on, the first hold on, movie. hold on. One second. Hold on one second. John. 
What did you think back in the day when you were a kid? <sighs> Yay or nay? I probably did assume that they had sex. No okay. way. Yeah, hold on, Bullshit. Adam. Adam, Zach, what'd you think back in the day? <laughs> yeah, I mean, Tim? key and hole. No, Tim? you guys are gross. You're disgusting. Tim? 100%. You see how crooked his glasses were at that one point? <laughs> yeah. Thank you. And Dustin? Oh, yeah, for sure. Empirically wrong, Adam. Right. Empirically Fine. wrong. But Paul Rudd's line of, I like your eyes, as the demon was fucking awful. That was not funny. I hated that shit. <laughs> that was funny. It was not what did funny. She say? What did she say back to him, by the way? Did you guys pick up what she said back to him? No. no. Not really, no. No. But I do like that her... When, her, her costume looked like Dana's. Good. That's what I liked. Uh, my last gre- a grievance, there are grievance that I need to mention. Um, and this is actually a big part. What was that, was that Tim? He's got a There's napkin. More? He's got a napkin. <laughs> that was a napkin. <laughs> Can you end? hold up your napkin, Adam? Hold up your napkin. No, it's my notes. It's my fucking notes. Oh, sorry. I thought it was a napkin. <laughs> he was I've like at dinner with his family. I got to tell these motherfuckers. I, I had chicken scratch. I was in the movie theater writing down notes about everything that pissed me off. Um, whoever you went to the movie with was like, man, it's man. I'm glad I came to this movie with you. <laughs> so For everyone wondering, it's a har- It's a it's an Arby's napkin and it's got sauce on it. It's got Arby's sauce. I want horsey, that sauce. Horsey sauce. I want that sauce. Horsey don't sauce. you don't you fucking make fun of Arby's in my presence? No, Sam. I love Arby's. It's my <laughs> favorite fast food place. If I'm ever gonna cave, I'm phenomenal. gonna go Arby's. Okay. Yeah. Um, one thing that I actually had a legit problem with in this film was the score. I thought the score of this movie was bad. I thought the timing was bad. I thought the uh, the hits that they did was bad. And I thought all the times that I was expecting a big pop music, I was expecting Ray Parker Jr. to come in during the film, and they never gave it to me. And it's not like not that the problem is that I didn't need that movie that you know that song they gave it to me in the credits. i was definitely waiting for it and never, they yeah. needed it like they're like what this probably in my opinion when they got the ecto one going and mm. they like were going on to like the fucking the sirens you know, started going sirens i did get put, i did get involuntary goosebumps when the sirens came exactly on. but Same. you would have came if the <laughs> if if Ray Parker Jr. song started at that time as well like they actually really really um had a I had a massive problem because I felt the score did not work with the movie itself. I just thought they were two separate things completely and where they needed to put in a couple more like pop songs, more montage kind of things um, and utilize some of that feel that we loved in Ghostbusters 1. And I actually, they did a similar thing in Ghostbusters 2 that I actually quite liked as well. They didn't have it here, probably maybe because it obviously made way later, but the fact that they didn't utilize some of those fantastic songs that they had in their repertoire and they just used score. I think the score was, was pathetic, actually pathetic, pathetic. You heard it here, guys and gals. I'm going to, I'm going to interject and just, and wholeheartedly disagree, respectfully disagree. Uh, I think that the songs that they chose. So in Ghostbusters two, the big song that hooked uh, all the Ecto to change its molecular structure or whatever was higher and higher that, um, which is an old like 1950s song. Jackie Wilson, amazing song. But it's, but it's redone in that movie. It's actually, that's a cover in that movie uh, by a guy who, 
Oh shoot. He was in the La Bamba soundtrack as well. Anyways, the music I felt was intentional. The fifties doo-wop music made sense to me because I felt like that was probably what Egon would be listening to. Like that was his music. Also that town was a throwback town that was trapped since 1950, whatever. Uh, the, the, their biggest place in town is that roller, you know, right. basically a Sonic and a and yeah. uh, root beer, you know? And yeah. And so uh, I, I liked the song that they threw in at the end and the credits I actually was like, that's actually not a bad song. That's not a bad song. I, I don't, I agree with you in the sense that I would have liked to heard a more, relevant like pop song in the movie but i definitely liked um i liked the older songs personally and i thought they worked for me and the score was like a throwback to the original score uh at least in the first half of the film but that's just my two cents so there you go. john i'd love to hear your thoughts on the score my man i actually i had a little bit of a problem and i felt like they, they were not for the same reason Adam had. This isn't a competition, Adam. Uh, <laughs> Always. Every podcast is a competition. Not because I thought that the score was bad, but because I felt like they were leaning too hard on the original score. Way too many sound cues that I recognized immediately from the first movie. And I there was a time and a place for it. And at some point, I'm like, what is the composer even going to get a credit? Or are they just going to credit the original guy? Because at this point, I feel like... They're just rehashing everything from the first couple of movies. I love that though. I thought that was cool. I thought, like I said in the beginning, earlier in the program, or in the program, earlier <laughs> in the podcast, I love that. Uh, that that to me was like the link to take the original audience who loves Ghostbusters and go, oh yeah, I'm connecting with this. And then the new audience who's like, okay, well this is cool, and maybe the, I never saw Ghostbusters one, but now I go on to go see it. I almost, I kind of feel like I. Sorry, Tim. I just I'll just throw this out real quick. I kind of feel like I land right in the middle of of John and Adam and, and Zach. Whereas like I enjoyed I when I heard the cues, I enjoyed it, but at the same time, it took me out of the movie for that second. I was like, oh, that's the cue from when they're walking, you know, down this hall from Ghostbusters. Like, well, I shouldn't be thinking about Ghostbusters. I should be thinking about Ghostbusters afterlife. You know what I mean? So I like that connective tissue, but I do think it kind of created this anchor that pulled me out uh really quick out of the movie. Um, Tim, I talked over you. I apologize. What were you gonna say, buddy? No, oh, it's all good. Uh, I was just gonna say that I, that's I'm with Zach. That's like what, that's what brings the, that's what connects these three movies together. Right. So if you have one and two with some cues that match each other, this is supposed to be number three. It wouldn't make sense if all of a sudden you just cut that out. Right. You need to bring that along to make these all feel kind of cohesive. Um, I can understand why somebody might not have liked it. I liked hearing them. I don't think they overdid them. It's not like they played full songs like they played in the original. They just played a little bit, a little clip just to make you think, Oh yeah, that's from you know the original and i could see how that might pull you out Corey. it had an opposite effect for me i really enjoyed it and, and i just to clarify just a tiny little bit um i didn't really have much of an issue of reutilizing some of the the songs that you had i felt they actually missed cues as to they should have hit it literally 10 seconds before when they did it um and then also the, the complete lack of putting in pop songs or some kind of like, you know, cover songs of the, the ones that we love from the movies, um, I think was a massive missed opportunity. So you I want them to put the, uh, the, the, the song that they covered in the female Ghostbusters uh, with 
the no, Ray Parker I, cover. I, I wanted like I wanted the Ray Parker version, Ray Parker Jr. version, or a similar esque version at some point in the actual film, not over credits. And I would have loved higher and higher. I'm not gonna lie. Um I or something song. else. Yeah. Um but like I just didn't or some other kind of pop song to like, you know, make it unique to their own. But they didn't do that. I felt it just um I felt the score had was missing the hits. Like there were times when they would hit the the Ecto one and then two shots later this music would really start swelling where it needed to swell the second that fucking, uh, mm. um, you know, ignition is turned. Like, I, I just think, honestly, I think the score was not a good score. You know, it's funny uh, to your point of a, of a musical cue being off by a couple seconds. I've always hated in a new hope when uh, Alec Guinness, Obi-Wan, you see him for the first time, he takes the hood off and but you would think that the the John Williamson the brrrm would happen right then, but it happens like a nanosecond before he does it, mm. and then it's almost like giving it away, and then he does it. I've, even as a kid, I was like, why is it like not on the point of him <laughs> taking it off? And I've heard discussions, and they're like, oh, John Williams wanted to like emphasize it or get your attention or something. Right. I was like, make sure oh. you're watching or something. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. So I don't know that, but the uh, Adam that made me think of that. What you were saying, how like they were off by like just a a hair. Uh, Dustin, what what are your thoughts on on the music or, or the score of this? Uh, I gotta be honest, I didn't I didn't think about it too much during the movie, other than I agree with Adam that the theme, the Ghostbusters theme, should have been in the movie at some point. I was waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting for it to show up, and there just there could have been that big moment when it hits. And maybe they thought that would have been too fan servicey, but it's everybody is expecting that song. So yeah. I did notice like, you know, some of the original score stuff, but it wasn't something where I was thinking about it a whole lot during the movie. So it didn't take me out of it or anything like that. Okay. So I guess it did its job in that regard. Nice. You know what? You know what has a really good score is uh, the Eight Bit Christmas on HBO Max. <laughs> uh, are you paid by them? Because honestly, yeah. I'm not gonna lie. I <laughs> really want to watch that shit now. <laughs> yeah, it's really I, good. It's really good. It's. Uh, I mean, is it a kid's granted, thing? Or? Uh, it, it was. It, it came out. It's like H, HBO Max New Line Cinema went straight to digital. But it's really like that to me. Talk about music cues. It really does a nice. Uh, job of like i think all of us can relate to the characters in that movie cool all right yeah. it's all right. a fun uh, fun christmas movie john anything uh anything left that you want to address before we wrap things up no i think we pretty much hit all my notes <laughs> oh yeah yeah pretty much got a lot of mine too look at um, look at adam's got his giant uh rb looking through that there. he wrote on like, let's see beef and cheddar so no, all, right, Big Montana. All, right, all right what did y'all i Montana, I, baby i yeah. shit on the blue, uh, the desert was too dry sorry yeah yeah john I john one thing oklahoma does not look like that <laughs> I've driven through Oklahoma and yeah, I don't remember it looking no. like that. <laughs> Oklahoma is flat. Yeah. There are there are no mountains and caverns and and uh well maybe caverns, but definitely no uh canyons or anything like that. True. That that part kind of took me out of that it. That was like, Utah. That's you like Utah all the fucking oh, way. Yeah, totally. And why didn't they My just guys, like this is why a, didn't they just make it Utah then, you know? Yeah. Um, it's a movie about ghosts. What does it matter what Oklahoma looks like? <laughs> There's people in the theater that are like, wait a second. Mm, that's I live in Oklahoma. Oklahoma. This is Utah. Come on. There's uh, fucking ghosts flying around. 
Tim, what uh, any any thoughts? Any uh, anything we didn't address? Yeah, one thing uh, I wanted to address is I just thought the movie looked really great visually. Mm-hmm. I thought they did a great job. I really enjoyed the cinematography. It's probably the thing that caught my attention very the very first thing. Um, I thought they did some really nice close up shots. They did some really good far away shots. I want to come to the defense of Egon for a minute. I would like to say the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. You can't make an omelet without breaking a few eggs. Science is a powerful drug. Leave the man alone. And in closing, Adam, I love all your points, but for somebody who's celebrating a birthday, you sure seem angry. (laughs) He's angry that he's getting old. (laughs) Aren't we all? (laughs) I I might be the youngest person on this fucking call right now, though. (laughs) You are. You are. (laughs) I think I'm the oldest. You are. (laughs) I'm not too far behind you there, bud. Dustin, Dustin, uh, any, any last thoughts, my man? Yeah, uh, there were a few moments in this movie where I literally, like, really legitimately got like um, 80s whimsy came across. Like a lot of the movies try to do that now and try to resurrect those feelings. And I'm not saying this movie was entirely successful in that, but there were some key moments that came up where I really felt that sort of 80s magic that we just don't really see anymore. Um, and made, you know, made me think of movies like Gremlins and Weird Science and whatever else, Back to the Future, these, these kind of atmosphere that those movies had that we just don't see anymore so i think uh there was a connection there for me that that it worked um the only thing is uh, that we talked about a little bit earlier was it didn't establish this world very clearly early on where it was like okay do they believe in ghosts do they not believe in ghosts john brought this up earlier and um they were when the ghosts appear they were really quick to be ready to believe in them it's this is minor stuff but i just wanted to bring it up because i was like oh well what what world are they living in like do they believe in these things or is this totally far-fetched shit to them um and it it did kind of struggle with sort of letting the audience know where we were at with that but that's my one of my few minor complaints of the whole movie overall really really had a good time with it yeah i guess i mean yeah that is a a pretty big issue that I had if I if I could really fix one thing about the movie uh, would be that aspect of it because you know if you obviously if you take Ghostbusters 2 as canon which you know I don't um, you the fact that I'm <laughs> just kidding I got well, I did it really just for the, the reaction from Adam <laughs> that, that only the, the the six of us could see but yeah. um you know like the fact that like <laughs> the Statue of Liberty walked down New York like there should be millions of videos of that and yes it, it happened in the 90s when like you know there wasn't a bunch of cell phone cameras everywhere but there would have been helicopters police helicopters you know there would have been news crew everything I do find it hard to believe that even if that they're saying that that nothing happened since that absolutely nothing happened since that I still think the world would have forever been changed by the fact right. that there is definitive proof that there's an afterlife. You know what I mean? It's it's that was a bit of a pill for me to swallow to sort of get into this movie. But like Zach said multiple times, suspension of disbelief, I kind of just let it go. Um, and I do want to address the fact that, Adam, every single thing you said, I don't disagree with, but I guess they, some of these things just didn't like bother me as much. And I just was let, I would just let it go. But I do want to say, like, I don't disagree with where you're coming from. I do think that the story was a bit 
they wanted, they knew where they wanted to go and they knew what they wanted to do. And they wanted to throw in these, like some pieces in there, but I don't feel like they really cared if it all connected. Do you know what I mean? They were just like, let's just have a good time with it. Um, I'm not saying that that's a defense of, of any of the problems, but I didn't have as much of a problem with it. Um, Zach, final thoughts on it? Anything we didn't address? No, I mean, I pretty much said everything I need to say. I, I Overall, I, I will gladly watch this movie again. I may even enjoy it more so um, the second time around. I really liked, as, as a mainstream movie, being back in the theater uh, for the first time since COVID started, for a mainstream movie, because I've gone back since, but it's been for like independent stuff. This was a nice reintroduction to the mainstream cinema to see a movie on screen. I think it's it was great seeing it on screen in the dark with with the sound and everything. That's what made it more impactful to me. Um, I was riding high as I normally am on nostalgia. So everything that was nostalgic in this movie just made it a 10 for me. And then all those other things that bugged me about it and were flaws. I'm like, well, yeah, but you know what? Like I can tear apart my favorite movies with a ton of flaws too. Um, like this is not a favorite movie of mine, but this is clear, easily a very enjoyable multi-watch film for me. So uh, yeah, I mean, I, I would, I would have liked to seen a certain, uh, I, I think because the last Ghostbuster movie left me so deflated and walked out of that going, man, this is what they're going to do from now on. And seeing this and going, well, this is like not anything like that. Last one <laughs> made me enjoy it that much more. So maybe that's, again, like Dustin was saying, the expectations were so low and that's what made it so high for me. Yeah. And, and we've all got to agree that it's better than Ghostbusters 2, right? No, fuck y'all. <laughs> You're fucking idiots. Well, hot take again. I still think I would watch this again with a kid versus the original Ghostbusters because watching the original Ghostbusters now with a young child uh there's some shit in there that I'm like whoo that, that takes a little bit more explanation <laughs> this one not so much yeah. just a parent like parents you- did in the 80s where they don't tell you what it means just you go and think about that stuff yourself <laughs> yeah do you guys think the goo in the pit is the same goo that was in Ghostbusters 2 yes yeah uh, absolutely. Yeah, that's a nice tie-in. tie-in. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. Oh, I did, Egon's Egon's traps or uh, sorry, guns that he set up there too. That was pretty awesome. That was badass. Yeah, that was oh yeah. Awesome. Oh, awesome. and 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 what's his face? The insurance guy uh, getting sliced in half again. Uh, yeah. The the fact that they brought Evo Shandor back and you're just like, oh my god, like I'm excited <laughs> to see him. And then she literally rips him in half, and I was like, ah, that was funny. That was funny and disappointing at the same time. <laughs> he was kind of useless. Yes. He was. It, it was, was it was not needed. Yeah. It was probably as, as needed as Finn Wolfhard was, right? Exactly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's I true say, though. It's true. Will... Paul Rudd could have been their driver. Yeah, I mean, he should have yeah. been. Yeah. And, and I, like I just want to say too, uh like this this did not taint my feelings about that kid because uh, you know, it is what it is, but I've seen him in interviews promoting the film and with the, with the Grace McKenna or McKenna or whatever, she's super jazzed and excited and happy. And, and he's just like slumped over on the side with his fucking arm on his face. And <laughs> he's I'm just a like, cool you know teenager, what, dude, man. You're cool. Like this cool guy look you've got going on. Like where's your manager or agent to tell you to like amp up a little bit of the energy, you know? Oh. 
All I can say is I'm glad there wasn't a bunch of cameras on me when I was like 15 years old because I probably would have been like, fuck you all. I'm going home jerking off. You know what I mean? Like I wouldn't give one shit about doing promotion for this stuff. But I will say I, I the kids, I don't and I know uh, listening to the Blast from our past, um, I, you know, I'm a fan of all the, the shows on our network. But I know you guys specifically, you know, when you're trying to recast movies and whatnot, you're like, you hate doing the kids stuff because I feel like and I, I started paying attention to that. I'm like, yeah, I don't watch anything with like kids in it anymore and like i don't even know who like the kid actors are these days if it's not stranger things i had no fucking clue basically you don't still have a subscription to tiger beat right exactly (laughs) but at least with this like so like normally i'm kind of like i don't really go and watch a movie with a bunch of kids running around this i'm like i thought they did a good job like they never annoyed me and i think that's the main yeah that's the main thing because kids often annoy me in movies and these (laughs) yeah yeah same Yeah, and another plug for Eight Bit Christmas because those kids are fucking awesome in that. All well, right, guess, how much are they? How uh, much are they giving you? Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> not the, enough. Take away from this episode is to go watch Eight Bit Christmas, guys and gals. <laughs> uh, if you're gonna hey, watch one movie, make it Eight Bit Christmas. But if you're gonna watch it. two, Ghostbusters Afterlife. <laughs> it's, it's a good follow up. <laughs> uh, the I love these uh, roundtable discussions. I know we will do another one, uh, but before. Christmas. Yeah, afraid of Christmas. Before we sign <laughs> off, I'll let everybody uh, uh, plug their their stuff, their podcasts. Not to be confused with podcast, the character from Ghostbusters Afterlife. Um, Adam and John, I'll split you guys up into two separate ones. Uh, Adam, how about uh, Throwback Trivia Takedown? Tell us about that. Sure, I'll take that. It's a uh, trivia podcast that John and I do that is nostalgic based. And, you know, if you guys like trivia at all, I think you guys would really enjoy it. We have some tough questions, some easy questions, but everything is wrapped around the love of nostalgia and pop culture. So make sure you guys check it out. Throwback Trivia Takedown. John, the Blast From Our Past podcast. Blast From Our Past is a kind of just nostalgic look back at the TV shows and movies and albums of our childhood. I, I love those album reviews. The um, Hell Billy Deluxe was fantastic, by the way. Dustin, action, action, my man. Yeah, we uh, rate a different action movie each week, review it and rank it and put it on our giant list uh, that we're creating. It's getting really unwieldy at this point, but uh, yeah, ranking each one as we go. So eventually every action movie ever will be on that list. And you can <laughs> no, follow- Probably not. And you can follow that ever-evolving list on Letterboxd, correct? Yeah, it's on Letterboxd, and uh, we're on Instagram, too. Yeah, it's uh, it's fun because it's a very interactive way to sort of uh, engage with that show. Uh, Tim, talking back. Yeah, we're a retro podcast. We cover movies, comics, video games, and more. And you can find us by searching Talking Back. Nice. And Zach, uh, Podcast After Dark? Podcasting After Dark, cult movie <laughs> podcast. It's, it speaks for itself. Break down a movie <laughs> scene by scene, inch by inch. <laughs> and $2 late fee? <laughs> and $2 late fee is a retro podcast where my co-host and I, we take a movie that we loved, see if it still holds up today. We take a song from that movie specifically, uh, and we talk about a few key moments from the year that movie came out. And then we interview someone connected with that movie the following episode. So, uh, for example, we have... Uh, uh, we just discussed a movie called New York Ninja that came out actually just got re-re- just got released a couple weeks ago through Vinegar Syndrome but it actually was made in 1984 
and they there was no audio for the movie at all. So the Vinegar Syndrome took the film reels, recut the film, made their made what they think is what the movie's supposed to be, and then they recast the voices with uh, legendary martial artists like Don the Dragon Wilson, um, Leon Isaac Kennedy, who's a black exploitation guy. Uh, and, and then like Ginger Lynn and, uh, Linnea Quigley and Michael Berryman, like cult movie people. And then Cynthia Rothrock, Cynthia Rothrock, uh, does the voice of one of the characters. And we interviewed her, um, uh, for the following week. So we've got an upcoming interview. Well, and we've got an interview with her. Uh, that's our latest episode and it's, it's different. It's wild. It's, it's unique. Nice. Nice. And, uh, Cartwright. Seinfeld podcast. You can find me and Adam on there talking Seinfeld every single week. As of right now, Adam, we are about half. Well, we're more than halfway through uh, season seven. Um, We're probably about two thirds of the way through as far as what's on air, essentially. Mm -hmm. Um, And we are also tackling Curb Your Enthusiasm on the Cartwright Patreon as well. So those are uh, are a lot of fun. Uh, As you guys all know, uh, our network is pretty much nostalgic based and all the shows kind of uh look at things through a nostalgic lens and that's why i think you know we all thought ghostbusters afterlife was was appropriate and so was mortal Kombat. and uh you know hopefully i i don't know what the next movie we're going to do a roundtable discussion of but hopefully it'll be something i'm guessing it's going to be eight bit christmas at this yeah. point <laughs> yeah there you go i want to reiterate just to, everybody listening if you're listening this far into the podcast Trust me, this is a mediocre at best film. Don't listen to anyone else who is on this podcast. It's not that great. Simple as that. Mediocre at best. Mediocre at best. And Adam gets the last word because it's his friggin' birthday. So, guys and gals, let's all wish happy birthday. Happy birthday, Adam. Hope it starts in Marby's. Go get a big Montana. (laughs) (laughs) I love that shit. And from uh, all of us at the BFOP Network, we hope you all have a great time and happy holidays. I don't know, guys. Happy holidays. Join the Podcasting After Dark Patreon community to unlock exclusive monthly content like cast interviews and a fan feedback show. Plus, you get every regular episode of Podcasting After Dark completely ad-free. You can also support the show by rating and reviewing us five stars on Apple Podcasts and by recommending us to your friends. Finally, make sure you follow us on Reddit, Instagram, and Facebook for news and updates about future episodes. Just search for Podcasting After Dark. Imagine being one of the last people on Earth, being trapped alone with something not human, something Always watching. Something. Always waiting. What would you do? Where would you run? Where would you hide? If you were haunted for seven winters alone. Podcasting After Dark presents Seven Winters Alone. A dystopian haunted house story by David Irons. Available now in paperback and ebook.